Welcome to the ARC Podcast. I'm Adam, and I'm here with... Joy Fabry. We're glad you're here. Today we talked with Daniel Fusco, who's the pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington, which we learned is different than Vancouver, Canada. It's actually pretty far from yes. it. So that's a fun <laughs> fact for you. His new book is Honestly from Nav Press, and it comes out this month, April. And we hope that you resonate with what he says. He's very transparent, speaks with so much joy, and really touches a felt need that we all have, and that is to realize that our lives are indeed messy, but that Jesus Christ is real and is with us in that mess. You'll get to learn a little bit about jazz, too, which was nice. That, yes. That's throughout the book as well, and we talked about his background with music and uh, how he structured the book around Coltrane. Mm-hmm. So those of you who are listening who are music fans, I think you'll find even another layer that is exciting to hear. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Daniel, and thanks for listening. Daniel, can you tell us a little bit about your background and um, how you serve at your church? Sure. So um, I grew up in what I would call a spiritually nominal family. So I'm all Italian from uh, the Northeast. Um, so I grew up kind of culturally Catholic. By the time I was in my uh, early teenage years, I was kind of, a, I was a atheist, not not like a um, an intellectual atheist. I just was just didn't really believe in anything. And I was kind of a self-proclaimed hedonist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up coming to know Jesus at the very last semester of college through a number of experiences, um, kind of just having that personal whole and being popular and a, and a musician and you know doing well in school, coming from a great family who loved me, and but um, just never really had any satisfaction that way. And I had a professor who challenged me to read the scriptures and, uh, and two friends who had come to know Jesus and uh, God met me in a really profound personal way. And, um, and I started a, a career in music. I played music professionally as a career for a number of years, even though I still play music professionally now, but not uh, vocationally. And, um, and I've planted three churches, uh, one in New Jersey, my native state, and two in the San Francisco Bay Area. And now I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. And so Crossroads is uh, um, one of the first generation, really huge mega churches in this area. And uh, the founding pastor, Bill Ritchie, pastored the church for 37 years. And I became the senior pastor or lead pastor about three years ago. Cool. Wow. So you, you said you were a professional musician. What uh, instruments did you play? So I played both the upright and the electric bass. Cool. That's so awesome. So follows the bass player, and as I like to say, bass is the bacon of music. So how can you? <laughs> oh, I like that. Did you did you start training as a child? Well, you know, I um, I, I ended up picking up the bass in eighth grade. So I really I have the person. I really wanted to be a lead singer. I kind of have like a lead singer kind of personality except um, God didn't give me the, the vocal <laughs> skills to do that. And so what was funny is, is then when I realized like, I'm really not a singer, that's not gonna work, then I just said I wanted to be a drummer. And so when I was in middle school, I started taking drum lessons and um, it was funny, by the time I got to the point, my parents said after a year of drum lessons, if I stick with it, we can buy a drum set. And so I took a year of drum lessons, I bought a drum set and my mom told me I wasn't allowed to play the drums anymore because she realized that when you're in middle school and you're the drummer, the garage band, the really bad band meets at your house. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't having that. And so like my dreams were dashed and I decided oh. I was gonna pick up a bass. And so I started playing in uh, in middle school and then really what happened was when I went to college, um, I didn't wanna be a music major, 
So, but I spent pretty much uh, the majority of my college years um, kind of begging my way into uh, the Mason Grove School of the Arts at Rutgers, where I went to where I went to college. I got a psych degree there, and uh, and I spent a ton of time uh, just practicing hours every day, and then started playing professionally right after that. That's so cool. And is it true that you sometimes play for your church? Absolutely. So at, at Crossroads, we have our worship ministry, our music ministry is absolutely extraordinary. We call our whole creative arts department the responding. We've written songs and released albums. And so I do get to play a lot. And it's also awesome. Our, um, our director, our executive pastor of creative arts is a trained jazz musician. And there's a number of guys. So like I, I've played a lot of jazz. I talk about that a lot in the book. But um, just phenomenal musicians, and so like I get to play. I can play at the church as much as I want to. Yeah, I, cool. There's a number of bass players, and so and as the lead pastor, it's like I have enough to do. Right. So, like, <laughs> I I don't want to preclude people from playing because I'm like, hey, I want to play. Yeah. But we have a great recording studio here, so we get to have a blast. Oh, cool. <laughs> See, I was I was a drummer. I learned from my dad, and the way he got the drums out of the house was he. He donated them to the church, so if I wanted to play, I had to go to the church. <laughs> that's a that's a great plan, actually. Right? It gets you playing at the church, yep, and, exactly. and uh, but that's funny though, because I always like I look back on those days, and even when I get to sit at a drum set, I start playing a little bit. People are like, "Hey, you're not a bad drummer." I'm like, "I could have been an amazing drummer, but <laughs> my parents just shut that thing down so hard, you know." Oh goodness. So, can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to write honestly? What were what was the impetus for it? And give us a summary of it. Sure. You know, I felt like I had to write the book honestly because when I looked at my own life, um, it's very easy to hear in the church and people walk away from following Jesus because they hear this message. If you believe in Jesus, everything's going to work out amazing. And then someone's like, well, that sounds good. You know, and I think at the church in some ways, they, the, the heart is right. They want, they want to make Jesus attractive. But you're selling something that Jesus actually isn't offering. Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't say that well, if you follow me, everything's going to work out perfectly. Actually, he says in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so he doesn't say that everything's going to work out exactly in line with your five- or ten-year plan. He just promises to be with us every step of the way. And so I looked at my own life, and I'm like, man, I, as a pastor, my life is messy. All these things go on. And I look at all the people around me, family members, friends, people at Crossroads. And the churches I planted, and there's so much messy stuff going on. And I started to realize that, yeah, life is messy. And Jesus didn't say it wasn't going to be messy, but the other side of the coin is that Jesus is real. And so, um, and then I started, as you start reading the Gospels, you start reading really from Genesis to Revelation, you find that on every page there's human messiness, and there is the God who is the God over and through the mess. And you look at Jesus' own life, and I, I really based the book. Uh, around uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so I use Ephesians as one of the jump-off points for the book. So you think about any of Paul's letters, he, he wrote the letters to either churches he planted or churches he was going to visit or wanted to partner with. But in every case, there's this need to correct um, mis, you know, uh, misassumptions about life, things that don't necessarily make sense or things that the church is doing wrong. And so Ephesians was a great example because Paul started it and all that went on in the book of Acts. And you have Paul's letter to the Ephesians and then by the time you get to the book of Revelation, Jesus is actually writing a, a letter to the church saying, hey, you're doing all these things good, but you left your first love. Mm -hmm. And so um, it shows that even you know, uh, churches, that there's, there's issues there, and God is working in and through it. And if we didn't have the messes in these churches, 
Paul wouldn't have ever written these letters inspired by the Spirit. We wouldn't have a third of our New Testament that we look to to say, okay, so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to really write a book of hope because I think for so many people, they either say the messiness of life means there is no God, and that I think is wrong, or people say, because my life is messy, God must not love me, or Satan must have a hold of my life. And I want to say, no, 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 God's got a plan in the midst of this because he wants to transform us, and the messy situations of our life end up being the, the canvas, so to speak, where God as the infinite artist can, is creating something beautiful if we're willing to say, okay, Lord, I don't get it. I don't like it, but what are you doing? And, and I'm open for you to meet with me, reveal yourself to me, and transform me in the process. Mm. Well said. Well said. Um, you talk a lot about how our lives are messy. Um, and one of the things you wrote, I think it's in the first chapter, where you talk about mess doesn't necessarily mean it's all bad things. It's just like everything. Like your messy apartment might might not necessarily might not necessarily be all garbage there's just a bunch of stuff there um and it's it's not until you kind of accept that um the fact that we're we're all living messy lives that you can kind of um move past that and get closer to to god what do you think are some first steps in kind of just accepting that you know what our lives are messy and that's just the way it is yeah so, I mean, the way the book's laid out, I use Ephesians as one jump-off point, and then I also overlay John Coltrane's classic jazz album, I Love Supreme, on it, because jazz is messy, and I'm a big fan of it, and it's kind of a defining kind of um, record or album for my life. And, you know, he, in the four movements of that album, it begins with acknowledgement. And so, like, that first section, it's called acknowledgement, because my goal in the first section is just, like, let's acknowledge the mess. Let's just be willing to say... My expectations don't get met. Things that I'm really hoping are going to be amazing, they're kind of underwhelming when you get there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I, it's like as a pastor, I'll have a couple and they want to get married and they're in love. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to say, listen, so when you get married, it's like the fairy tale isn't really real, you know? Like, I don't want to ruin that for them. But at the same time, I, I want to be a good pastor and prepare them for what's coming forward. And so I'll say, listen, oftentimes marriage, be, it's underwhelming. It doesn't meet our expectations. And you get a new job, and you're like, I can't wait for this job. And then a month in, you're like, man, new job, old job. It's a job, and it's not perfect. And I'm not infinitely fulfilled in it. And I tell people who want to be pastors, I'm like, look, you feel called, and praise God. But it's it's work. It's not all like standing in the pulpit, and, and everything's amazing. It's like there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And so I think it begins with acknowledging the mess. But I don't want to keep people there. And in some ways, our world says, yeah, life's a mess. And so people are just kind of jaded. But, like, it moves from that acknowledgement to, in the second movement of John Coltrane's A Love Supreme, it's the resolution. And so it's like we need to speak the finished work of Jesus, what the cross and the empty tomb and the perfectly lived life and the ascension, what does that say about the mess? And so that second part is about we don't just want to just acknowledge it's messy. Like, what fun is that? It's just lame. It's like life is completely that would be horrible, but it's like there is a resolution that comes from what is Jesus, who is he, and what does it mean for him to have died on the cross for our sins, for the tomb to be empty, for Jesus to ascend to heaven and to send forth the spirit, like the basics of Christianity. There is a resolution for the mess if we're willing to say, I'm not going to let the mess drive it. I'm going to let the fact that Jesus is real. That's going to drive. That's going to define my life 
and I'm going to acknowledge the mess in the midst of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sounds like I need to go listen to some Coltrane and <laughs> and uh, see what kinds of uh, insights I can pull from it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's fun because a lot of people – I was talking to someone recently. They read the book. They're like, I'd never heard of John Coltrane's or Love Supreme. And it's – I realize like jazz is it's, – it's a pure American music form, maybe the most purely American art form ever. But it's it's not really popular. I mean, in the '50s and the '60s, it was and it was popular. Now it's, you know, um, you don't really hear a lot about it. But that's a classic album. Mm-hmm. It's it's a brilliant album. I love it. <laughs> that's so great. Um, question for you: You say that we first need to acknowledge, and then we need to claim the promises of Christ over our messiness, um, and that can bring resolution. So. What are some practical ways that we can do that? It's very easy to intellectually grasp that, but it's another thing for it to become a belief of the heart. Can you speak to that? Sure, and I think in a lot of ways that's that's the the struggle with uh, being a Christian is how do we move, how do we have things move that 18 inch journey from our brains into our hearts, and then from our hearts out to our hands and our feet and our mouths and everything. And so I think in some ways. Uh, repetition is the greatest teacher and so um, like in the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 it begins with how messy life is you know like we're dead in our trespasses and sins but God and so in a lot of ways that phrase those two words but God you know I try and insert that into my life at every turn just to say okay so this thing's going on if I'm acknowledging this didn't work out the way I wanted I put my foot in my mouth again. You have all these different things that go on. And I use a lot of personal examples of that in, in the book. saying, so, you know, this is a struggle and this is a struggle and this is a struggle. But then, but God, what is God doing? And I think the, for, for followers of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, is that the death and resurrection is the defining narrative. And so we have to, in some ways, train ourselves at what does this actually really mean and then how do we live? And so... In the book, I move from the acknowledgement of the mess to the resolution, which is Jesus, to pursuance, which is how do we walk through life in the midst of the mess? How do we acknowledge it and also keep the fact that Jesus is real? And all through Paul's letter to Ephesians, and it fits nice because it's you know the idea of a bass player walking a bass line, the, us walking on this journey of life. And ultimately, I think the it lands on, and, and that's called in Coltrane's album Pursuance, and then ultimately it lands on Psalm, which is all about love. And so for me, it always boils down to if Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love my neighbor as myself, if Jesus, if Paul tells that the greatest of these is love, if Jesus said, I want you to love others as I have loved you, then it's for really it's all about what does Jesus's love look like flowing out of my life in the midst of this mess, in the midst of unmet expectations, when someone does something that's hurtful or when I do something that's hurtful to somebody, how do I walk out the love of God? And so for me, it's about keeping the main things in the front of my life. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what happens is the most important things, because life is messy, the main things get pushed to the back. Like we're watching it right now in our country with the election. You know, it's a big thing, but, but the highest ideals of humanity are getting pushed to the back because we're in a political climate right now. And so I'm always fighting as a person and as an author and as a pastor to say, let's put the main things and let's keep them front and center so that we can see the election for how important it is and what's at stake. But we can carry ourselves through in a way that we can be like, wow, we're actually really followers of Jesus Mm -hmm. in the midst of a messy America, in in the midst of a messy world. And so 
I think that's the key is keeping the most important things and keeping and fighting to keep those things at the front of our of our hearts and our lives. Well, you stole my next question because I was gonna ask you to talk about your article that you wrote for Relevant, which was about the the election. But uh... yes, well, that, in that article was fun because I realized that anytime you write about politics, it's like you're, you're putting yourself in the in the in the total mess. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody that the biggest the Bible tells us that the biggest issues are internal, not external. You know, and it's like, so I didn't say, and of course, some people take it as you, I'm saying don't vote or it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that whoever wins the next election, our biggest issues are still internal, and that's what the heart of the gospel is. And it's it's about changing us on the inside first so that we can be live out loud in a way that is God-honoring. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really fun to oh, and kind of, you know, <laughs> me creating more mess for my own life, yeah. you know? Is to write an article in relevant about politics because it's like you can't win on that one. Just, but uh, just don't read the comments. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I I gander at them and I'm like, I did this to myself again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Well, sometimes we all know to like be an expert of understanding something or getting out of something, you have to be familiar with it. You know, if we we keep ourselves from being vulnerable or from hard situations, then we really are not credible spokespersons for what the Lord can do in it. So there you go. Way to give yourself opportunity. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and in some ways I wrote the book honestly, and, and I tried to be really incredibly honest. And even as a pastor, like people here at Crossroads always say, you know, Pastor, we love you because you're just real. And so and and so I really believe that, for especially for believers, Again, there's that idea that, like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm struggling because that's going to reflect negatively on Jesus, where it's like, no, 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 everybody struggles. Mm-hmm. We're all in process, and if we're willing to own our stories a little bit and we're willing to say, look, so I love Jesus, and I'm not a perfect husband, but God's working on me, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't get everything right, and I don't have to pretend that I do because Jesus is real, and the gospel message is not that I get everything right. It's that he got everything right, and yeah. God has accepted him. And because God has accepted him, he shared that acceptance with me. And I can be like, hey, the reason I believe in Jesus is because I just did that. And as a parent, like I have three kids and I love my kids. Mm-hmm. But all the time I said, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was impatient, you know. And my oldest, Obadiah, his name is, he's 11. He always says, I'm like, and I always say, I'm like, buddy, I'm so sorry. And he'd be like, dad, dad, don't worry about it. Jesus is still working on you. Let me pray <laughs> for you. Because it's like, it's, in some ways, it's like my ability just to say, look, this is who I am. And God's not done with me yet. But it's okay that I'm in process because either way, even if it's if I want to pretend like it's not okay, or if someone says it's not okay, I'm still in process. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a full I'm not a completed masterpiece. I'm an in process masterpiece, you know. And God knows what He's doing. And so I think that ability as believers to be able to own our stories and own our failings, and but to not just to say yeah, I'm flawed, but to say no, no, I'm flawed, but Jesus is real and He's doing a work. I think that's a that's a tremendous opportunity for the gospel to run forth. There's so many people like, oh, I couldn't follow Jesus. All the Christians are hypocrites. And the reason people see us as hypocrites is because we're not willing to own it when we fail because we think that's going to reflect negatively on Jesus. But the hypocrisy actually reflects more negatively on Jesus. (laughs) And so. You're right. Yeah. Now, being real with Jesus, I've just in my own journey, I've realized that the more real I am in prayer, the more aware I am of Christ's presence with me moment by moment. And then um, in the situations that I'm facing, and you talk about this in your book um, in a section called Getting Intimate. Um, 
what have you learned about prayer as a part of the process? Sure. So what I've learned about prayer is that no matter how long I've walked with Jesus, prayer is an elusive experiment, you know, and, but that is the word that we use for the way we communicate with God. You know, it's like, whereas we're talking right now, I get to talk with my bride, but prayer is the, is the chosen word for the dialogue that we get to have with God. And God is, uh, I just think God's so incredibly playful in, in our relationship. And so I don't, every time I think I'm kind of hitting a good groove on what prayer is and isn't, um, I realize, oh man, I'm just like, I'm getting into a, a rote version of it. And so I think the ability to, to you know, my, my Bible says, and everyone's Bible says that we're all naked and open to the eyes of God. So we have a tendency, we're so used to putting on these these masks that we come to the Lord, we're like, Lord, we love you so much. And sometimes we're like, Lord, I'm actually kind of upset right now with, with what you're doing. I don't like it. And so what I've found is that, as you're saying, like when you're willing to be vulnerable in prayer, when you're really being willing to say, God, this really hurts right now, you know, you become aware of his presence because the Lord knows that things hurt. And the Lord knows when we, when we have these great victories and we're like, Lord, I'm just so happy right now. Like this morning I was praying about the book coming out. I'm like, Lord, thank you for letting me do this. And I just pray that this is a blessing. And Lord, if I screwed this all up, I'm so sorry, you know? And, uh, and I just felt the presence of God just, just there. And just like, I'm his child. I'm his special kid that he gets to experience me growing up just the way I get with my kids. And so I think prayer is challenging because I think we just want, we want the answer to prayer, you know? And like, I, I use it in the book that we love the outcome, but God loves the process. And so we want the answer to our prayers, but really God loves the journey of us seeking him. Cause he knows that if we seek him, we will find him. If we knock, it will be opened, you know? But oftentimes we just like, Lord, I want you to fix this thing, you know, and we we miss out on who God is in the midst of the messy journey to get the outcome that God is designing and desiring. Mm-hmm. So and, and I think prayer is I, I use it that that title getting intimate because true intimacy is communication over time. Like the people that were the most intimate, we always have a tendency to make it physical. But the people who we're the closest with are the people who we've communicated with the most over the longest period of time, whether it's somebody who it's a lot in a small period of time or over a long period of time. And in a lot of ways, I believe that God's he wants us to have a deeply intimate relationship with him. And that is something that only happens as you interact with God and as you spend time in prayer and as you explore and as you you, you invite you invite your own awareness to God's ever presentness in our journey. Because it's like, I always say, Lord, you're always with me. That's what Jesus said. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. You're always with me always, even to the end of the age. So the issue is not with God's presence. The issue is with my awareness. Yes. I have a father. Like, he's here right now. So, Lord, okay, so I forgot. Like, I focused on other stuff. And so that journey to me is has become, ex- it's extraordinarily precious. Because every day I'm learning new things about who the Lord is and who I am and and, and, and how to have a, a relationship with him that Jesus bought for for me. How do I do that? Yes. You know, the word playful you use um, goes well with your music analogy because if you think about jazz, just it, it breaks the rules but has rules of its own, and if you were to take it and structure it any more than it is, it would take a lot of the beauty out of it. And so I think we, we crave structure, we want routine, 
when really that's probably not the best thing. And the Lord obviously knows that. And so he just like, you know, you said, when you feel like you're in a groove, the Lord changes something up and it's an opportunity for growth. That's right. And, you know, I wrote honestly, and a number of people said it's a very playful book. And I wanted to write that because like, I also have a, a more playful personality. There are people who are a little bit more um, kind of conservative in, in their, the way that they present. And I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, and so I wanted to write a book that also had that at heart. And I, and I think that that's why I think jazz is such a great analogy for life. I'm so grateful that I started to learn how to play improvised music even before I came to know Jesus. Cause I realized that we, it's true. We want the structure of life. We want like, hey, this is my plan. This is how it's going to go. But like in jazz, things happen in the moment that you weren't expecting. And part of what makes jazz to me beautiful is the interaction that happens in the midst of it to make something beautiful, whether the drummer changes something up or a horn player plays some crazy, you know, like Coltrane does in a lesser plays his crazy overblown notes with multiphonics. And then as the musicians, you're like, Ooh, what, what do I have to say about that? You know, like, what do I want to add to that? And I think life is that way. And I definitely think life in the spirit following Jesus, it's, it's, it's radically unpredictable and spontaneous but what mostly what we have a tendency to do because we have our love of structure and our expectations we end up doing something like oh i didn't want that and so instead of continuing going forward we stop and we kind of clinch up and we miss out on god revealing himself in us and through us because of the things that didn't happen mm-hmm. or the things we didn't want to happen or the things that we wouldn't have chosen to happen yes expectations really do that to you and honestly if you expect I think it would be helpful for all of us to expect the God of the universe to do things that we don't expect and I think if we have our expectations set that way then rather than disappointment it would be again an opportunity for growth an opportunity to see who God is no matter how disappointing the circumstances absolutely and I love the way that you're like to me that's like perfect like, like that's like a perfect framing. Like if the expectation is, is life is messy and Jesus is real, yeah. you know, and God's doing something and he doesn't clue me into all that he's doing and all that he's trying to accomplish. But God, I'm in, like I'm strapped in, I'm along for the ride. Right. And I just want to enjoy, I want to figure out how to walk through this with grace and, and, and be a reflection of you into the world in my own crazy life. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like, that is the Christian life. Yes. Absolutely. Awesome. I'm, I'm wondering if you should maybe do a whole series of books where you take uh, jazz music and yeah. as the metaphor for the, the book. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's funny because it always, like, music always ends up, because it's a, a life passion and a gift that, uh, that I feel God shared with me and I get to share, it's like, it ends up being, you know, if I'm being honest about my life, that, like, I, like, music frames so much of it for me like whether it's and, and it does for everybody like even if people who don't really like music a song can evoke a, a a heart response to a specific place like there's certain songs where it's like when i hear one note of it it brings me right back to something that was going on in my life a place that i lived a group of people that i was around i remember when i first heard it you know and uh, music has you know you try and watch a movie without any uh, musical soundtrack to it and it and it is lacking and so and everything that I write, even as I just put in my, my follow-up manuscript for too honestly, you know, there's music references all over it. Like, I got to do it. I can't, I can't, I can't help myself. 
Maybe you should make a playlist uh, to go along with Honestly, and then uh, there we'll, you go. Uh, give that up. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We actually, I did a quartet album that for people who pre-ordered the book, we're giving them a free MP3. We're gonna, we're in the process of mixing the whole album, and so it's super fun. Saxophone, piano, upright bass, and drums, mm-hmm. and uh, it's super like it's a pretty cool album. I'm really stoked about it. It's, it's got a vibe to it. So <laughs> that's awesome. Hmm. Do you have anything more, Daniel, that you'd like to share with us? Um, I think the thing I really want to share, and really why I wrote the book, is it's for me. It's all about it's about hope. I think, you know, um, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wrote in in the in the book of Romans. And in a lot of ways, I want I want for the people who follow Jesus, like my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want us to be known as a radically hopeful people. Mm-hmm. And I think in the day and age we live, we don't have a lot of that. Like you don't where where's like the radically hopeful voices out of the out of the out of the family of God. And then I think for people and I also wrote the book with with skeptics in mind and non-believers in mind because like I am pastoring outside of Portland, Oregon and I plant a church in and outside of San Francisco, which isn't exactly like, hey, there's like, everyone's a Christian here. <laughs> you know, um, I wanted to write a book because even outside the, the church, there is no hope, you know? And so I wanted, to, I wanted to remind people that, you know, that that hope is a real thing. And, and it's not real just because it's a good thought. It's like hope is real because Jesus is real. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways, like I wrote the book where it's like my whole goal and it's just like, I wanna be a, 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 a ray of hope, a voice of hope because everyone's life is messy. It's like, but God is doing a work in the midst of it. And so that's kind of my hope that people will get out of the book. They'll just walk away being encouraged and, 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 and ready to take on whatever crazy stuff goes on next. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Awesome. If there is, um, if we have listeners that want to look you up online or follow you on social media, how can they do that? Sure. So obviously I'm, you know, the internet is a playground. And so, um, I'm on Facebook, obviously. Uh, uh, just look for Daniel Fusco. I do these Monday to Friday. I do they're called two minute messages, which I've been doing for a couple years. Where it's just like a little every morning I post it, so it's morning my time, so seven o'clock on the West Coast. So um, across the country comes in a little bit later. I'll be sleeping in for you guys, but you know, <laughs> just a little encouragement. I'm on Twitter, Daniel Fusco. There, Instagram. Um, I have a website, DanielFusco.com. It's got all sorts of writings and sermons and. You know, if you just search for me, podcasts, I mean, all that stuff we got, it's all rolling. And uh, and it's fun. We're doing I, – I, I feel blessed I get to do this. I have different content going out on all these different platforms. And so um, – and that's a blast. So I'd love to be able to connect with everybody and hear what God's doing in their life. That would be a blast. Mm, great. Awesome. Well, thanks for, for doing this podcast with us today. Yeah, I appreciate you guys so much. And by the time this is out, people can go buy the book. Right now, like, don't even stop listening. Just go and buy it right now while you're listening. That's right. That's right. We love that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Daniel. Blessings to you and your family. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.